Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 1st Avenue North on the 3rd floor. Hope to see you soon. So uh, earlier this week, Angie was at a mommy thing somewhere in downtown, and, and I had the two oldest boys, and we had some time to kill while she was finishing up. And so we snuck into a playground at a church in downtown. Um, so don't worry, you know what I mean? I can pull the pastor card if anybody were to get mad at me. No, 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 be cool. Be cool, I'm a pastor. It's all right. I was just playing with the kids. And so as we're sitting there, it's, it's about dusk and it's starting to get dark. And as we looked up, we could see uh, into some of the high-rise condos there in downtown. And a couple of them had absolutely done an incredibly gorgeous job decorating for Christmas. And you could see from the playground where we were at, as you sort of looked up, like three or four of these condos condos gorgeously decked out with like the beautiful tree right in the window so everybody could see it. And so I was like super excited about this. And I was like, boys, boys, come here, come here, come here. And they're like, what, dad, what? You know, I was like, look. And both my boys in unison did the same thing. Meh, it's Christmas lights. And they were back on the playground doing whatever they want. And I was like, what? What is wrong with you children? Like, what, what is your problem? That's beautiful. That's, that's awesome, right? I mean, that's, there's something about uh, the beauty of Christmas, right? Of, like, really well-done Christmas trees that are just sort of gorgeous. Like, my wife's family, her grandparents have this Christmas tree that nobody's allowed to touch because it's one of those, like, only white lights, no kids' ornaments, only like the fancy gold and silver ornaments and like the ribbons wrapping. It's like the nobody touches this tree. And then like down in the basement, they have the like terrible decoupage, like everything thrown on it, bright lights everywhere, right? But there's, there's something about those like gold and silver, beautiful Christmas trees uh, that fills us with wonder, right? That's a word we use a lot around Christmas is sort of this idea of wonder, right? Walking in a winter wonderland, right? Because Christmas is gorgeous. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, sort of the season, the colors, the lights, everything that we see is just beautiful. And so we use this word wonder to describe it. The passage that we're going to look at today talks a lot about this idea of wonder, but it talks about it in a much different way than you and I do, right? We kind of use wonder in the idea of something that's sort of pretty and maybe unexpected. That's what we would call wonder, wonderful. Oh, well, wasn't that wonderful? I went to this restaurant and I didn't think it was going to be very good and it turned out to be very good. Well, wasn't that wonderful, right? We were driving around town and stumbled into a neighborhood with gorgeous lights. Well, wasn't that just wonderful? Uh, When the writer of this passage that we're going to look at uses this idea of wonder, he's doing something slightly different. What he's doing is talking about something that only God can do. To the people, to the the Jews in the Old Testament, when they heard the word wonder, they didn't hear just something slightly unexpected that was nice. What they heard and saw was, this was something that only God could do. This was something amazing, uh, beyond our reach, beyond the reach of any human. Something has happened here that is amazing, and only God could do it. 
And so that's what they're looking at. And so Isaiah is writing this passage, and he's going to talk about wonder. But before we get to the passage, I think it's helpful to understand what's going on. So the nation of Israel had been a superpower, had been a really big, important country under the rule of David and his son Solomon. And they had sort of been the bullies of the area, right? They actually were like telling Egypt what to do at one time, and they were telling Assyria and all these other countries. They were sort of the big kid on the block for a while. Uh, But then things went south, and things didn't go so well. And the kingdom fell apart, and it split in two. And now, about 200 years after David and Solomon, there's two kingdoms. There's a big one in the north and a smaller one in the south, and things are not going well. In fact, the nation of Assyria is uh, knocking on their door. They're starting to trample down their lands. They're starting to come southward. And in fact, they're in the north of the land of Israel. And they're coming in and saying, all those crops, yeah, they're not yours. They're ours now. But wait, wait, wait. No, see, we have all these swords. You don't have swords. That's That's our food now. And they were taking all this food. And the king, his name was Ahaz, the king kept saying, oh, no, it's cool. It's cool. I can fix this. I totally can fix this, guys. He has no army. He has no resources. He has nothing. It would be roughly the same as Jamaica picking a fight with the United States. And when they went to the Jamaican president, like, what are you going to do? And him saying, no, no, no. I can handle this. We can totally take on America, right? It's a, a small country with not a lot of resources trying to take on a superpower. This is what the king was saying. I can fix it. Now, before we go any further... I want to take just a second and stop and ask. When you and I have rough stuff happen in our lives, how many of our gut reaction, how many of our first bite reaction is, I can fix this? Right? How many times when something goes wrong is our first reaction, no, no, I got this. I can fix this. Kids not obeying, I'm going to lay down the law. I'm going to show them, you, you, know, you know what? This relationship's not going well. Sherry's berries. I heard about it on the radio. I'm going I'm to send some berries and I'm going to fix this. Pro- I, I can fix this, right? Things aren't going well at work. That's okay. I'm going to work overtime this week and I can fix it. Whether we're a guy or a girl, this isn't just a guy thing. All of us have something inside of us. All of us have this tick where when something goes bad, we say, I can fix it. I can take care of this. How long does that last? When we try to fix our situation, maybe it's something small. Maybe it's, maybe it's the tire blows on our car, right? Like, I can probably fix that. But when it comes to things like our relationship to our spouses, our relationships with our kids, when it comes to thing like, things like work just not going well at all, How often can we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and just fix it? I think the harsh reality is not as often as we'd like to think. The harsh reality is even when I start to fix something, even when things start going well, most of us, after a while, lose the patience to keep holding on to both sides of that rope. If I'm going to fix it, it's all up to me. And if it's all up to me, I can't ever slip up. And if I can't ever slip up, I've got to be on all the time. And if I've got to be on all the time, eventually I'm going to break. 
This is what was happening with King Ahaz. King Ahaz had a problem far too big than he could fix. But he's telling his people, no, 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 guys, I got this. I'm going to handle this. Don't worry about this. I will take care of it. Don't worry about it. I've got it. And then steps Isaiah. Isaiah comes into the picture. Isaiah is a prophet. And he goes to the people and says, listen, I've got something a little bit different to say than King Ahaz. King Ahaz is telling you that he's going to fix your problems. Bad news. He's not. Good news. I know something. And I'm going to tell you something about your problems. So let's do this. We're going to stand up and I'm going to read what Isaiah said to these people in the face of their struggles and in the face of Ahaz telling them that he's got it under control. So stand with me as we read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. Isaiah said, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us... A son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. City Church, this is the Word of God written nearly 3,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. So for us, we read this passage, we hear this, and let's be honest, it's kind of obscure. It's a a poem written by a prophet who lived a 1,000 years before Jesus even came. And yet, to the people that heard this for the first time, When they heard this, they would hear all sorts of things jumping off the page. When Isaiah spoke this words, those alarm bells would be going off. You know when you're talking to somebody and they make a reference to like a line of dialogue from a movie and you sort of, your ears perk up and you go, that's from something, right? I I know that. That's, you know, that... That's a Will Ferrell movie. I, you're quoting Will Ferrell right now, aren't you? Right? That's sort of when somebody alludes to it and you know a little something's going on. That's what he's doing here. And what he does throughout this passage, when he sort of goes through all of these things that are going to happen, what he's going through is the ways that God has done wonders in the past to the land of Israel. And what he's telling them is this. That what you want is peace. Peace. What you want is peace and freedom. This nation from the north is coming. They are stealing your land. They are eating your food. They are taking away everything that you have. And they are killing your friends and family. And what you want is peace and freedom. But it's not going to come from Ahaz. 
It's not going to come by some king running up and saying, I can fix this. I've got this under control. I'm the one who you should listen to. What he's saying to us is this. That far too often, you and I look to ourselves and our own strength or to our idols to bring us peace and freedom. If, if I could just get a promotion, then I would be free. Then I would have all the money I needed. You know, if, if at the end of this year, instead of just getting a cost of living adjustment, if, if I got a real raise, then, then everything in my house would be fine. There would be peace because we'd no longer be arguing about money. If, if I could just get my kids to get A's, then they would get into a good school. And if they got into a good school, all, this other, all these other problems would fix themselves. If, if I could just do a little bit more, then everything would be fixed. And what we do is we put our trust in ourselves that we can fix it, that we can bring peace and freedom to our life. But we can't. And we know that. When we step back and we think about it, we know how frustrating it is. Because when we try to bring peace in our lives, there's always other people that mess that plan up, right? Whenever we try to bring freedom to our lives, there are always people who come along with rules, aren't there? We think that if we just got to the top of our company, if we just became CEO, everything would be fixed. And if if I was my own boss, everything would be fixed. But then the board of directors comes along. And the board of directors starts telling us how to change the company. If I could just... If I could just be nicer to my spouse what's going to happen is they'll start being nicer back to me. I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to put in the effort. I'm going to be the one who's going to work hard. Well, what happens? Those of you who are married, those of you who have been dating for a long time, those of you who have had relationships with the past, when you decide you're going to be the fixer and you're going to be the one who brings peace in the relationship and you're going to work really hard at it, what happens when the other person just sort of refuses to play ball? When you try to defuse a fight and that becomes more ammo for another fight, how quickly does your patience last? I can tell you how quickly my patience lasts. About that long. What? I was, I was trying to be the good guy. I, you were being a jerk and I was going to be the one who, who dealt with it. Right? This is hypothetical. This isn't me and Angie. <laughs> this is all hypothetical, mind you. Right? You... You, you were doing this stuff and I was the one who was just taking it and I tried to be nice and now look what you've done. Right? We, we turn into the parents from Home Alone blaming Kevin for getting left home alone. And that's exactly what this passage is about. What you and I need is God to work a wonder in our lives if we're ever going to have true peace, if we're ever going to have true freedom. As he starts walking through this passage, what you see and what you hear 
is that he starts talking about all these things that have happened in Israel. He says, listen, you people who live in the north, you people who are at the corner of the Assyrian Empire where they are coming and taking your food, you there are the ones who are going to see a great light first. And let me tell you what it's going to be like. It's going to be like when slaves' chains are broken away. Which if you've been a Christian for a little while, you sort of might hear the same echoes that the people who heard this the first time would have heard. When he starts talking about slaves' chains being let go, he's talking about the Exodus. He's talking about God using Moses to bring the people out of Egypt. That was not something that anybody could do. Moses didn't bring the people out of Egypt. God did. Moses just happened to be in the the co-pilot seat. He just happened to be along for the ride. But God did an absolute wonder in that. And then he sort of says that the staff of Midian was broken, which for most of us, this sort of jumps over our head. This sort of flies out of the way. When he talks about the staff of Midian, he's talking about this obscure story in the book of Judges, which we're probably going to start looking at in January as a church. There's this story of this guy named Gideon. And God says, hey Gideon, I want you to lead an army that's going to defeat the Midianites who are crushing you guys. And Gideon says, cool, I'll get my boys, let's go. Then he gathers an army of like 10,000 people. And God says, yeah, that's too big of an army. Gideon says, "Um, they've got like 100,000 people. I think 10,000 is good. God says, no, no, here's what I want you to do. Anybody who's scared, tell them they can go home. Gideon stands up in front of these people and says, all right, anybody who's scared, go home. So about half the people are like, I don't have to fight in a war? Yeah, I'm good. I'm going to go home. I'll see you guys later. Y'all deal with all the blood. I'm out. And God says, yeah, that's still too many people. Here's what we're going to do. Take them down to the river and tell them to get a drink of water. So Gideon says, okay. And then he says, okay, uh, put everybody on one side who bends down and laps at the water like a dog. And everybody who walks down and like scoops the water up, put them on another side. And he says, okay, send the one side, the big side home. Who are you left with? And Gideon's like, I've got 300 guys against an entire nation's army. And God says, bingo, let's do this. And God uses a plan, he uses Gideon, and these 300 men defeat an entire army. That's a wonder. That's something only God can do. And God says, this is what's going to happen. Remember what happened at the Exodus? Remember when I used Moses to bring you guys out? That's a wonder. That's peace. That's freedom. Remember when I used Gideon to do this? That's peace. That's freedom. That's what I want to go on. And so as we read this, as we sort of hear this story of God breaking our chains, as Christians, we often make one of two mistakes. On the one hand, it's easy for us to want to over-spiritualize this. Especially if you've been a Christian for a long time. You hear these stories of freedom, of breaking the chains, and your mind automatically goes to the fact that Jesus breaks the chains and sets us free from sin. And we want to take this passage and immediately make it spiritual, which is a good thing. And we want to make it just about the way that God frees us from sin. And so some of us take it that way. And we ignore the fact that there's something else going on here. That God really does care about justice. 
that justice is a really big deal to God. So the mistake that some other Christians make is, well, what this is about is that God's always on the team of those who are oppressed. God is always on the team of those who have less. And so what this passage is really about is that. And that spiritual stuff, yeah, yeah, whatever. But what this passage is about is about God being with the oppressed. And if we take either of these views as exclusive, either that this is just about sin or that this is just about political stuff, we miss something. And here's what we miss. That true peace, true peace that comes from God is peace between God and man that creates peace between man and man. Let me back that up and say that again. True peace, what the Old Testament uses this word, shalom. It's it's this idea of flourishing. It's, It's a garden that is overflowing with fruits and flowers. This peace that God talks about begins with peace between God and man. But true peace between God and man will always create peace between man and man. These things go hand in hand. They're together. And God says, I did a wonder. The wonder that I did in Egypt, the wonder that I did with Gideon, this is the sort of thing that I am going to do. And when I do it, it's going to be amazing because one of the signs that I've done it is that war will be over. Right, So I, I have a confession to make that um, one of my favorite Christian songs was written by a Christmas song, uh, was written by a guy that hated Jesus and hated Christianity. Right, um, Because I grew up in a house that listened to a lot of music from the 60s, I absolutely love War Is Over If You Want It uh, by John Lennon. Um, I, if it comes on, I will always turn it up. Right, Happy Christmas, war is over if you want it. Right, and it's this 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 protest song about Vietnam, and it's and it's written by John Lennon, who had no love or affection for Jesus whatsoever. But what's really interesting is that this guy that didn't want anything to do with God writes this protest song about Vietnam and in so many ways captures the sentiment that when Jesus came to this earth, one of the things that he came to do, when he came to bring us shalom, is to end war. Now we hear that and we go, yeah, yeah, we should end war. Let's do it. And when we say, let's go end war, we miss the point. Because how do we end war? How do you and I try to do it? Maybe, maybe we saw a movie and we said, oh yeah, war is bad. Let me, let me do my part to end war. So we try to do it through political things. We try to give to charities that end war. What's this passage about? Isn't this passage about wonders? Aren't wonders things that only God can do for war to truly be over? It's going to be something that God does. Something that God does, not something that we do. And so you have Isaiah looking at these people and saying, you keep trying to fix it. You keep trying to make it better. You keep trying to sugar it over and make it nice. And you can't. Because you cannot create peace on your own. But here's what we're going to do. God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send someone who will make peace between God and man. I'm going to send someone who will do this. 
and he says, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. It's sort of one of the most famous Christmas passages. Besides the sort of story out of Luke that we'll read tonight at Lessons and Carols, this is actually the other passage that we'll read because it's, it's this, unto us a son is born, and unto us a, a child is given, or a child is born, a son is given. Right? And we read that and it's like, oh, it's Christmas. And what we miss out on is that this beautifully precise theological thing, right? Jesus was fully God and fully human. He was a child, and yet he was the eternal Son of God. And Isaiah sort of couches it very poetically, but he, but he reminds us, this is something beyond our comprehension. It's an, an army of 300 defeating a nation. It's a ragtag bunch of slaves being let go by their masters. It's a wonder. And God says, I'm going to do this by sending my son. And we see something really upside down. Because what was Ahaz saying? What, what does every king say? I can fix it because I am strong. I can fix it because I will have the power to do it. I can fix it because I know the solutions. Which is funny because that's the same things you and I say in the face of our problems, isn't it? I can handle this. I, I have the solutions. I can handle what's going wrong in my life. I, I know that my kids are beyond my control, but I've heard there's a book about this. I'll go get the book, and I'll control this. Things aren't going well in my relationship. I can work hard. I can fix it. The king says, the nation's coming at us. I've got it under control. And God says, no, we're going to do something different. I'm not going to send a mighty warrior with a loud voice. I'm not going to send someone who is going to yell down his opponents. I'm going to send a lamb. I'm going to send a lamb who is silent before his killers. I'm going to bring peace, not by being the most violent person, not by being the person with the biggest stick. I'm going to bring peace by sending a son to die. You see, what's amazing about this idea of wonder is it's something that we can't accomplish on our own, and it's wildly unexpected. The fact that a baby would be born and this baby would be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, and Prince of Peace is baffling. Because when we think of a leader, we think of a strong man. Somebody who's going to take charge. Somebody who says, I can fix it, who we believe. But when we look at the story and this prophecy about Jesus we see a baby. Helpless and fragile. And God looks down at the manger of Jesus and says, this is how I'm going to bring peace. This is my wonder. It's interesting that in that story in Luke 2, what is it that the angels say to the shepherds? If you've heard the story, if you've even seen Charlie Brown, these angels are there in their field, and God says to them, 
or the angels say to them, now there is coming peace between God and man. We try to accomplish peace and freedom all on, all on our own. We try to fix it. We turn to our own strength. We turn to so many things that we have in our lives, in our toolbox, and we say, I'm going to fix it with this stuff. And God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my son. And my son is the one who's going to make peace between God and man. This passage ends with God saying, through Isaiah, that the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. And, and we don't use the word zeal a lot, right? The only time sort of that we commonly use the word zeal is zealot, right? which is normally has a bad connotation, right? If somebody's a religious zealot, that, that's a negative term. But it's interesting that zeal um, has another word that's related to it, um, which is jealousy. So um, jealousy and zeal are basically the same word. But what's funny is jealousy is also not a good word, right? If somebody's jealous, that's a bad thing. Except, except for this, right? Guys who are married, when someone looks at your wife a little too long, okay, what do you feel? Right? Most of us dudes instinctively, kind of, our shoulders kind of roll back a little bit and our hands get a little bit tighter together, Right? Why? Why does that happen, right? Because we love them so much. Pa- parents, when you're, when you're on the playground and a slightly larger kid shoves your child, what do you do, right? That, that thing creeps up in the back of your mind, right? That thing creeps up on you and you're like, not my kid, not, not my wife, not my man. That thing, feeling of, no, no, I love this person more than you know. No. Bad things are not going to happen here. This, this is not going to happen. That sort of sense of jealousy, that love that is so overwhelming that it can't be left alone, God says, this is how much I love you. When I look at you, I get that feeling that I'm going to step in and fix this. That you can lay down all of the ways that you try to fix this. All of the ways that you say, well, if I was just a better person, it would fix this. God says it's never going to be enough. If you say, you know what? I should just take life as it comes. It is what it is. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I do. What's going to happen is going to happen. If you sort of take the Bill Belichick, it is what it is way of looking at life and think you're going to fix your problems by just rolling with the punches. Whether you try to fix your problems through action or inaction, whether you try to fix your problems by just having a better mindset or by trying to be a better person, no matter where we are, God says, all of this is never going to bring you peace. And I love you so much that here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come and make peace between you and God. I'm going to come and make (coughs) peace. And the way I'm going to do it is by sending my son weak and fragile. And when he grows up, he's not going to go and kill all the Romans and set the people free. He's going to go and let the Romans kill him. He's going to sacrifice himself so that his blood 
will make peace between his people and God. And so for those of us who are Christians, as we listen to this, as we hear this passage, as we hear the wonders of God, the wonder that we should walk away with, the wonder that we should be shocked and amazed by is the wonder that God has made peace between us and him. That even though we are more broken and messed up, that this week we have not been nearly as kind or as pure We have not been free from thoughts of greed. Even though we are more broken than we realize, the love of Jesus is greater than we could possibly dream. And that he has done the wonder of making peace between us and God by the cross. And so if this is true of us as Christians, if this is what God has done for us, if this is the wonder that he has created in our life, what his call to us to do is to go out because of that and show that same sort of love, to be the people that wage this sort of peace in others. Not by pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, not by trying harder, not by ginning that peace up, but rather by receiving and wondering at what he has done. And when we focus on that, what's going to happen is it's going to come out in our lives to those all around us. This week's going to be hard for a number of you with family. Some because family relationships are tense. Some because when you just get a lot of people in one house, things go bad. Think of the wonders that God has done in your heart and what he might do in your family this week. There's also sort of a bad news to this, right? That's for those uh, of, of you who are not Christians who would go, yeah, I'm still checking this out. There is sort of a, a catch here. That real peace between others is only possible if we have peace with God. That we can't have peace with others apart from true peace with God. The best we can hope for is a ceasefire. Think think about North Korea and South Korea. There is not peace between North Korea and South Korea. Right? They hate one another. They just happen to not fire guns at one another. Apart from Jesus, ceasefire is the best we can hope for. But with Jesus, what we can have is true peace. Let's pray.